So sometimes, evidently, the misbehavior is extreme and obvious, but sometimes it is anything but. Outside of the awful cases and sometimes within them, a great deal turns on context and perception. Different people see the same things differently. The same person's view of what happened quite often changes over time and as events unfold. And some conflicts seen from the outside just seem wholly inexplicable. What I think we can be sure about is that these conflicts, the awful, the more routine, and the unfathomable, are increasingly the stuff of working life in modern advanced economies with our emphasis on service and other very people-heavy industries, although in truth this has always been a feature of working life. So how these play out tells us a great deal about the balance of power at work what working like life is like for many people and how in turn we use law to engage with these situations is only going to grow in importance. To the extent that we get it right, law can be a force for good for everyone involved, enhancing, I would hope, fairness and equality. To the extent we get it wrong, the collateral damage can be massive. But why this neutral language, behavioral conflict, this is just straightforwardly a research need, the need to be able to capture the whole, in interviews, particularly the whole territory of ways that these conflicts erupt because they really, really are unpredictable. They come from all sorts of worlds. And secondly, to be able to identify the cases, so that again, irrespective of the law that is invoked to capture where you're dealing with the same kind of situation. I said it was my early experience that piqued my interest. This wasn't only as a junior solicitor, but also as an employment litigator dealing with some of these cases. And in an echo, however, of some of what I'm hearing at the moment uh, from interviewing people, by the end of four years advising and representing working people and some employers, I decided whatever happened to me at work for the rest of my life, I would never, ever go near a court. Possibly not the best thing to say in front of my um, entire senior um, uh, management team, but there it is. I'll live with that. I might get some serious therapy, but I would never litigate. Um, So Evidently, aside from the experience of being an employee, I developed a clear sense that the law was not working optimally in this area. Then, as an academic, the focus shifts a little bit. The interest in power distribution at work, and specifically in behavioral conflict, absolutely remains, but viewed from different vantage points, including as a teacher. 
um, of brilliant students, first at UCL and then at Queen Mary, and I'm absolutely stunned that one of my um, students who, in fact, uh, they all sat their labour law exam this afternoon, and one of them is here, so that is deeply impressive, and others I've noticed from... Uh, past lives, they didn't sit an exam this afternoon, but still fantastic, they made it. The fact is that nowadays, but not for that long, only really dating for relatively recently, a very great deal of UK labour and equality law nowadays consists in a growing catalogue of individual rights that on the tin are about ensuring fairness and equality at work. But as a teacher, the ever-present dilemma has been how, in a sense, to convey what I guess my own real-life experience had... Not that universities aren't real-life. I've just made a dichotomy that I don't accept, but there we are. Um, but how to convey what my experience dealing with these laws as a practitioner and as an employee had taught me that the big picture behind these individual rights, I would argue theoretically, is that while law has effects and that some of those effects can be emancipatory, can do good things, law is always, to a greater or lesser degree, about legitimating the basic power structures on which society is built, its dominant ideologies and ways of viewing the world. In some sense, law is always backward-looking, its roots, roots deeply in the way things are in the status quo. At best, therefore, laws that seek on their face to be about making a better world will further those transformative goals, but at the same time, they will reinforce the authority and ideological structures through which society functions. I take my steer in viewing law in this way from scholars as disparate as Kimberly Crenshaw writing about anti-discrimination law in the modern US and E.P. Thompson, a favourite of our SWATI book group, the members of which are here. Um, uh, his famous work on the 18th century Black Acts in England. This shows you how law faces in two directions at once and that this is, in a sense, its greatest strength and greatest weakness as a tool for bringing about worthwhile change. The difficulty is in how to work out the subtle, in my hypothesis, variable mechanisms by which law does this, by which it has this character. But I would argue it's only if we understand this process better that we have any chance of using law better to pursue defined ends and of making sense of the function of law and society more broadly, the limits to what it can do. But in relation to working life, there is remarkably little empirical research, especially qualitatively, directed to uncovering how law is functioning. And I see a strange cleavage here between the tradition of legal scholarship about work, which is very much 
rooted in an acceptance of a need to take a sociological frame for looking at collective regulation at work, the relationship between trade unions and employers, but that's somehow not feeding through to, despite in the late 20th century, these twin movements away from collective representation and towards this catalogue of individual statutory rights that I teach my students about and that make up not all by any means, but an important part of labor law nowadays. So Dickens and Hall, two industrial relations specialists, observed in 2005 that we are lacking scholarship about how statutory labor law is used, how people come to accommodate and live with it. I love that expression. In a sense, that's what I'm partly trying to do. So I've looked for methodological inspiration about how to try to do this elsewhere. Uh, maybe surprisingly, I found it in particular in Carl Llewellyn's innovative work in the common law tradition published back a, a good while ago in the mid-50s, uh, in the 1950s. And more generally, new legal realist work from the US using sociological method to try to see what is happening. So what have I actually done? Treating behavioral conflict at work as a case study, we can dispute uh, how far my findings will be transferable. Uh, I have a lot to say on that, but I don't have time to say it here. So trying to use this to see if there is that uneasy relationship between legitimation and anticipation I anticipate and precisely how it works and through this to look at boring technical lawyerly ways to see if legal entitlements in this area could be designed more effectively and secondly to theorize about the limits of law of such laws about the perhaps darker legitimating side of the story so I've jumped off from non-legal knowledge about behavioral conflict at work and, and about who litigates in order to qualitatively to examine first these 150 cases from a 15-year-old period, not ET cases, very much focusing on precedential courts, so authoritative courts that uh, lay down the law of the land in its application and secondly, through interview studies with senior lawyers and with senior people within a wide range of organizations uh, to find out more about how these conflicts emerge and the influence of relevant law and adjudication in these cases on how they're dealt with. So before I say a little bit more about my findings, I need to paint in a little bit of the bigger quantitative picture of how these individual labor rights uh, work. And in that, one of the things one has to pay attention to is that a great many working people are excluded from the enjoyment of either all or a great many individual rights. This is 
the results of a combination of legislative design, deliberate legislative decisions to exclude people, judicial interpretation, deciding exactly where those lines are, and then the response of market actors, which is a fancy way of saying employers deciding to arrange their working relations contractually or otherwise in such a way to avoid the coverage of these individual rights. <clears throat> 